Welcome to episode 87 of the Gunburners Podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law coming at you tonight. Um, football season's here for you Alabama and Auburn fans across the state of Alabama. Um, we have to wait no longer. Just, I guess, by the time this drops, what, three short days? And uh, and the time will be here. I know Auburn's got a lot of energy on the planes over there. I'm introducing a new coach and and Hugh Freeze, new offense, Peyton Thorne, turnover machine at quarterback. They're fired up over there on the Plains. Alabama might have a turnover machine at quarterback as well, starting for them in Bryant-Denny Stadium under the lights on Saturday. Um, but, you know, got some stuff to talk about. We're going to introduce our, our weekly segments that we're going to do throughout the season. We're going to have a segment called Does Alabama Cover Every Single Week? And, of course, our Bet of the Week like we did last year. Um, but starting out before all that, of course, you know, we're going to break down the middle Tennessee state game and, and cover a little bit of what's been going on in practice since, uh, the podcast last week, you know, of course the, the final days of fall camp last week, and then moving into preparations for middle Tennessee state starting last Friday. Um, so starting out Monday, first game of the season and guys, look, honestly, it's not a big deal whether a depth chart is released or not. I mean, have y'all lost any sleep over it? Seriously. But Nick Saban doesn't release a depth chart for the first time in 17 years as a coach at the University of Alabama. And it's <clears throat> brought up some questions, I guess, amongst the Gump Runners. So I wanted to discuss this first. And, and you know, guys, I, I like it. It's fun to look at. You know, it's – I understand why he didn't do it. I question a, a couple of the statements he made. But, J-Law, this whole depth chart thing, just give me your general opinion about how this makes you feel. And, and and I mean, were you surprised by this? Does it really matter to you? Tell me how you're feeling about this no-depth chart Monday, so to speak. Surprised, yes. How do I feel about it? It's kind of funny. We know Saban disdain for the media and how they get something and they run with it and they just run with it and they run with it until they beat a dead horse. So I think, you know, just kind of learning how things even went with Tua Jalen, you know, that second year where, you know, we all knew Tua was going to be the starter. Then you list Tua as the starter. And then Maria Taylor is hounding him in the halftime interview and in the post-game interview about the situation. And now he's just not going to deal with it going into game one, especially when Alabama doesn't have a starter at quarterback. At least we don't feel like it's set in stone. Now, I do believe that Jalen Milrow, it looks like the way that they ran the last scrimmage, the way that they talked about this week following that scrimmage, is that Jalen Milrow is the guy. I mean, it's prob he's probably going to be the guy unless he completely shits the bed. So that's number one reason why you don't have one. I think Saban's disdain for the media and what they would have done with it. And number two, I think there is a lot of competition in so many spots. Trez Marshall, Jahad Campbell still battling it out. You got two safety spots completely up for grabs. You but have do three you, white. Do you, though? I think you do. Well, you know, he said Devonta Smith's been hurt with the foot injury. I don't think Christian Story has a shot at starting. He 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 has not gotten a lot of playing time with the ones in spring or fall camps. So, is there really competition, or is it just Jalen Key right now? I mean, Devonta Smith. We talked about this last week. He can't help the fact that he got hurt. Right. But I mean, he knows he's not going to start. Like, 
Trez Marshall and Jahan Campbell. It's going to be Trez Marshall. But that first depth chart uh-huh. isn't really like that. People don't take it as that's who's starting this game. They take it as that this forever. guy won the job. This is his job to to keep it all year long. This is who it's going to be. And I think that with so many coin tosses, like, dude, Devontae Smith, if he was healthy, could come out there and just play awful. We've talked about it so many times about quarterback. The same thing goes on with Terry on Arnold, a million other guys. When those lights come on, there's 100,000 people there in this game or the next week at Texas. Heck, even your first road game at South Florida, what's going to happen? And people take that first depth chart as this guy, it's his job. And I think there's a, still a lot of tweeners. I think that the receiver position, there's – you can, you know, your X, Y, and Z, dude, there's a lot of people fighting for both of those spots. Your tight end spot is, uh, it feels like it's not Blacks right now, but if he goes out and doesn't play well, like, does that affect, now, should it affect how C.J. Dupree prepares for this game? No, but that's just how kids are now, man. So I, I don't blame him for not releasing one. Would I have liked one to talk about right now? Yeah, would I have loved to melt down over Jalen Milrow listed before Ty Simpson, even though there's an or or a slash between their name? Absolutely. Our podcast is now trash this week. The week after we launched a Twitter because Saban <laughs> didn't release a depth chart, but I, I think it's funny. Yeah, go follow go follow us. Is it Gump Runners Pod on, on Twitter? Is that the username? I don't even know. Uh, I don't know, but all I know is there's a guy named K Law Burner account that's hey, sharing that our ruthless. stuff. That is that is not me. People no. are like, hey dude, is this Jeremy? Like, no, I don't know what that is. I don't even have Twitter. I just know we have a Twitter account and I look at it literally through the Silicaga, the Aggie <laughs> Sports Network Twitter page. It's the only reason I have Twitter. But no, that is not me. Lester, this this depth chart thing, <clears throat> did Saban maybe explain it the best way, in your opinion? Because to me, he, he comes out saying, you know, we have competition, and, you know, if we put out a depth chart, it, it would cause some problems amongst the team or whatever. Is that kind of a soft statement to you? <laughs> because to me, the way I look at it is – why would a depth chart matter regarding competition? If, if they want to cry like a little, if they want to cry like a little girl because a depth chart comes out and they're second string or third string, don't they need to leave the program anyway? Doesn't doesn't Saban preach mental toughness twenty four seven? Every time the guy talks about practice and it being hot, it's about mental, mental, mental. All these guys that he brought in to talk about during fall camp. They talk about toughness and being mentally tough, yet he doesn't release a depth chart because his team is mentally weak. Is that That's weird? I, I mean, do you agree? Well, I, disagree with that statement? That's kind of how I saw it. Yeah. Well, I, I agree with you. I don't think release the depth chart is that big of an of a uh, a deal because you know LSU hasn't released one. Uh, I don't think Texas and them has. And yet, Tim Brando felt the need to go on Twitter and bash Saban for not releasing the depth chart, but that's neither here nor there. But to answer your question, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a weak move. Like, if you have these aspirations of being the best who you can be, of winning a national championship, a depth chart should not dissuade or discourage anybody on that roster, especially when you rotate 
so many guys at various positions, right? Now, the only spot that that may bother someone if someone is mentally weak is the quarterback, right? Because, you know, but see, the thing is, the players, I don't think that part even matters that much anyway because the players they know. on the team practicing every day, mm-hmm. you know whether you line up in group one, group two, group That's three. Right. You know who the first team O-line is. You know who the first team D-line, second team, third team. You know who that is. So there should be no surprises. Yeah, once a depth chart is released, there should be no surprises, right? Zero. Nobody in that locker room should be surprised at anything. So I is he is he saying that just for the quarterback position? But see, that doesn't make any sense either because Saban said last week that the quarterback position is still a competition even beyond week one. So I don't even know why Saban even went through the mess, even went through the drama of not releasing a depth chart because it's just giving someone else, like the media, something else to attack him and talk about. Like, like everything we just said versus the players at practice, they know. He already said last week the quarterbacks know that this is not over. So what's the reason? I don't understand the reason for not releasing a, a depth chart. It's, and, it's know, weird. I, I really wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't have a problem with it uh, if he did it every single week this season. Right, but Lester. It the only. I, I mean, is it going to be weird if say Jalen Milrow balls out this week? Ty Simpson comes in and goes two for eight with two interceptions. So we're like, okay, Ty just doesn't have it. It's Milrow. Let's roll. And the week, the Monday before the Texas game, he we come, he comes to the podium and there's a depth chart. Would that bother you? Uh, I think that would bother me more than not having one this week. Like yeah. if, not, if you if you don't ever do one, fine. But once right. the quarterback situation kind of plays itself out, if there is a depth chart, then I'll be like, dude, what, I mean, what's going on here? See, the thing is though, if Ty does have that bad week against MTSU. He can still go to practice every single day to play his ass off because we still don't know how Miro's going to react against a team like Texas. We still don't know that yet. So, like I said, the the, the battle is still ongoing regardless of who's one or two on the depth chart. Everybody should still practice and prepare as if they are the starter because sure. you never know what's going to happen. Injury, that's a, that's, I mean, that's a perfect world. Yeah, for well, a yeah, coach, I mean, that's, that's the perfect team is every single week you're, right. you're getting guys practicing their ass off trying to compete for a job. But like J-Law said, it's a new era. These kids, man, like yeah. they're so quick to give up. They've really never had to work for anything in their life. I mean, so what makes you think – and, and they've been the best players in high school or whatever, and so they get to Tuscaloosa and they actually have to work hard for something. If they don't have that drive instilled in them from – their earlier days, then they're just not going to get it done. So they'll just, that's why they just transfer so easily. Yeah. I, and I, I hate that. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. That's something that Saban has to manage. I personally think another thing, too, is Saban is tired of dealing with the transfer portal, honestly. Um, that could be another reason, but, you know, we, we, we won't ever know unless he comes out and says it. Uh, another question, J Law, going back to you. For the first time in Saban's career, at least at Alabama, and maybe period, uh, both coordinators, Tommy Reese and Kevin Steele, will be in the box. Is this something that you agree with, disagree with, or who cares? 
How how you how you feeling about this? Personally, not a fan. I'm not a fan of the DC in the box. Um, OC, I feel like you could go either way. I feel like they need to really see the field, but and your OC is normally not your vocal leader guy. Like you know, he feels more like a CEO, and your DC feels like Kirby Smart or. You know, some of these other guys that Alabama's had where, like, you know, you kind of need that morale on the sidelines. Like, defense isn't calm, cool, and collected like you want your offense to be. So, like, Tom, like, but I would still prefer both to be on the sideline. Just, I think about Alabama's just run of dominance on offense, dude. All of the OCs on the sideline. Kiffin called one game from the booth. I know y'all remember this. In 2014, he came down on the sideline after that to call the game to help Blake Sims like kind of get over those hurdles because that instant communication, the face-to-face, the, hey, my OC believes in me, like you can see his face, you know, I think that really helped Blake Sims. It kind of moved on to Jake Coker. Sark called the natty from the booth. Alabama took an L. Sark calls, comes back. He's on the sideline helping Nick Saban. So, you know, I think there's some pluses and minuses to a lot of that, but I would rather them be down on the field because Alabama doesn't, to me, they don't have like a wealth of knowledge like they may have had in the past. Like I saw people highlighting that 2015 staff, like Napier, Lanning. I mean, dude, everybody on that staff is now a head coach. Cristobal, like, so you felt really comfortable. But right now, like, you're you're on the field coaches or Freddie. You're on the field coaches with Saban or Freddie Roach, Joe Cox, um, Coleman Hutzler, and Eric Wolford. Oh, excuse and Holman Wiggins and T Rob, but you know, those guys, they're probably not as much in on the game planning stuff. Like Wolford's next step as an OC. I don't really think it that is for Holman Wiggins. Um, but you know, I feel like you almost need something else down on the side. I'd rather somebody else be in the booth and those two guys be down on the sideline calling the game. Lesser same same question. I mean, the way I look at it is I sort of agree with J-Law. I, um, if if I have a direct question about what I'm supposed to be doing on a certain play, I, I mean, I would like to talk to my coordinator face-to-face and not go over to the sidelines to get on the phone with him. <clears throat> Excuse me. But another thing, I do I do agree with the defense coordinator being on the sidelines because of the – you want a high energy guy. Remember Kirby, you know, jumping around and and doing all this stuff, very animated, Pruitt, very animated, chewing people's ass, um, you know, kicking the board, all that good stuff on the sidelines in between drives. I think that's needed for the defensive side of the football, especially after the last four years, we've been so chilled out with Pete Golding. He's been so calm and so chill, and <clears throat> he hasn't been animated. And so I think we needed – I think he hired Kevin Steele because he was not like that. And I think that uh, – I, I I think that, yeah, I, I think Kevin Steele needs to be on the sidelines because for, for that purpose. So, you know, he can really give the guys a pep talk when they need it. He can motivate them. He can get on them if he needs to because, like, I mean, if you get cursed out by – Coleman Hutzler or Freddie Roach or T-Rob. It's like, okay, sure. But if the D.C. is cursing you up and down in front of the entire defense, 
I think it means a little bit more, and you can't do that from the box. Offensively, I really don't care. I know it's hard as hell to see anything from the sidelines. Like, in game, I've seen games from sidelines. It's brutal. And so I kind of prefer the OC to be up in the box um, unless you have a struggling quarterback or whatever, like, you know, the the analogy that J-Law used with Lane Kiffin and Blake Sims, that's fine. But if I'm an OC, I prefer to be – because you need to see the whole field. You need to see what parts of the field are opening up in certain downs and distances. And uh, so I agree that the OC needs to be in the booth. But I do disagree with the defense coordinator being up there. Um, Lester, how, how, do you, how do you feel about both coordinators being in the booth for the first time in Saban's career? Yeah, I don't like it. Um, I know from the first time that y'all told me this information, the first thing I said is, who's going to choose some ass? That's what I want to know. I mean, now we've seen the Reese get onto that guy at Notre Dame. He's screaming at him through the phone or whatever. But, man, if if Kevin Stills is firing brimstone, discipline, um, you know, we're not going to make mistakes, we're going to do this, yada, 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 when those mistakes happen, who's going to chew ass? Who's going to get in those guys' faces and let them know that they screwed up? If this team is taking on the identity of their coordinators, then that defense should be mentally ready to accept the, you know, not punishment, but the ass chewing because they know that they're wrong. This team cannot afford to make the mental errors, the the mistakes of 12 guys on the field that jumped off sides. That cannot happen this year. So I, I personally, I think Kevin Steele needs to be on the sideline as, you know, when they screw up, you got to get on to them. But when they're dominating, they're doing great as a rallying guy. That's what I feel. I mean, it's kind of like when you screw up and your parents find out about it, you'd much rather take that phone call than walk in that damn house and have to look both of them in the eye and get your ass chewed out. I promise you. So and, and I think it's the same thing here. I mean, if you screw up and Kevin Steele's in the box, you know, Nick is so worried about his image nowadays, he's not going to jump down your throat anymore. I mean, True. it may be something you know, you know, hey, you know, shoot, whatever, you know, we'll do it. You know, I won't screw up next time, maybe. You know what the I mean? Only, the only I'm reason it bothers me, the only reason it bothers me is because there's not another to me, our defensive staff is so bland. Right. There's, yeah. There's dude, right. the, Bo Davis is not there. Dan Lanning is not there. Glenn Schumann right. is not there. Um, I mean and that was my that was my point, J Law. And Lester kind of bats it up by having another good point. It's about you walking in the house getting chewed out by your parents. Uh, your position coach might be like your uncle or your aunt chewing you out. You know, it it, it sucks, but you're like, okay, whatever. But once mom and dad get involved with it, you're like, oh shit, you know, I better tighten up. And so that's kind of how I compare it. Yeah, I see that, but I also think that like Dan Lanning could be your your godfather. You know, like he he was a guy that if he was on the staff, like you felt like, oh, OK, you know, like the Alabama just had a staff with a lot of people that you trusted. And I don't Respect. trust Freddie Roach. Alabama does not. Alabama has not had a really good defensive line since Freddie Roach has been there. Our outside linebackers, other than Will Anderson, have, you know, they've they've been good. But we also had a generational talent there. I mean, our outside backers, our inside backers have been super average. Pete Golding was coaching that, but you bring in a guy from Liberty that we don't know about in Robert Bala. And T-Rob has, I believe he's been a D.C., so, okay, I, I can trust him. I know T-Rob knows the game. Like, he's got the respect of those guys. But our defensive staff is just kind of, 
bland. And if honestly, if we hired anybody else that wasn't named Kevin Steele, that gave up 45, five times last year, we'd all probably be terrified right now. It's almost like that 2015 coaching staff, you had position coaches, but you could tell that they were going to be head coaches someday. Right now it's hard to see Freddie Roach in a head coaching role, T-Rob in a head coaching role on the linebackers coach, Hutzler, Wiggins, Eric Wolford. It's hard to see all those guys in a head coaching role. But even when Dan Lanning was on staff, even when Pruitt was a was a position coach, um, you know, you, you could you could kind of see that they had that future. You know, Mel Tucker, um, Mike Loxley, you, you could kind of tell they had that they had that about him where they were going to move on. And even Billy Napier, you know, when he was a receivers coach here before he moved on to ULL. So I don't, I don't think that we have any coaches that have that aura about him right now. And, and so, you know, we'll see how it works out. We all obviously disagree with it. So hopefully it plays out. Um, might make a change there mid season. You never know. And if they're both comfortable up there and that's where they can call their best game, then I guess that's where they need to be. But getting into the Middle Tennessee State breakdown, week one's finally here. We're all excited. We're ready to go. Um, haven't had this many question marks about an Alabama football team. J-Law, is this the most we've ever had under Nick Saban? The, the most preseason question marks as far as quarterback, uh, receiver, defensive line, both coordinators – I mean, you hired a damn 31-year-old, man. Uh, have we ever since, had this many question marks under Saban? Since we launched a pod slash our radio show in 16, absolutely. So the last seven years, no doubt. Now, before that, there was a lot of questions around Mac Jones, but you really, I mean, you had Jalen Waddell and Devontae Smith and luckily John Mechie stepped up. You knew you were going to have a good OL, your running back. You know, like – there's just tons of question marks. I mean, at uh, so many positions, quarterback, receiver, running back is set. OL seems to be good if Darian Dalcourt can put it together. Defensive line, question marks outside of Jaheim Otis. I mean, corner, question mark on one side. Safety, a lot of question marks on one on one of those spots. When you start talking about nickel and dime packages, you start to tons of questions. I mean, you're so, starting yeah, think, a, you're starting a true freshman on both sides of the ball. I mean, how you know we know they're good athletes, they're going to be good players, but they're still 18 years old. You know how yeah, are they gonna, so, how like, are they going to pan out? The question marks are are huge, and I'm super nervous about it. It's definitely the most that I, we've had in the last, I think, 10 years. Um, actually, maybe the most since 2014, because not knowing if Jake Coker was going to be able to play Blake Sims, Jake Coker, you had Amari Cooper, but you didn't know who else you were going to have in 14 running back, you know, like, so probably I'd say the most questions since 2014. And most of that's because this is probably the most unsure we felt about the quarterback position in a long time, because that has just been a strength. For us, you know, yeah. 2014, 2015 was bad um, going in, going into the year about who, who's it going to be? Is it Coker or Bateman? Is it, is it Sims or Coker? But now it's just kind of like this. It feels the same as it did back then, but I'm not so sure that we can plan on the light at the end of the tunnel starting to shine bright week two or week three. I don't, I, I don't know how it's going to pan out. Yeah, you know, also in 2014, yeah, Kiffin coming on, who you were excited about. I had my questions about him. I didn't know how he would get along with Saban. 
Uh, I didn't know how much free reign Saban would give him whenever, you know, we just opened it up, just straight spread. All of a sudden, you know, um, that wasn't anything close to what we had run prior to to Lane Kiffin. So I was kind of nervous of how if Saban would <clears throat> kind of hold him back and, and and make him run the same offense that we had run under the previous coordinators. So, yeah, that, that it's probably the most question mark since 2014. And the first time we've had legit worry about the quarterback spot uh, since, what, 20, 2016, Jalen Hurts' freshman year because, you know, not a lot was said about, about – hurts it was a lot about Blake Barnett and uh, he would get the start there and then Jalen just kind of took over that team in the in the second half of that USC game and uh and did did a phenomenal job for us so Lester if Jalen Milrow was average last year in his limited time I know he only got about maybe what six seven quarters under his belt but in the time he was on the field, he was a below-average quarterback. And if you want to argue, go find the wall, argue with it. He had three turnovers against Texas A&M, I believe. Uh, Arkansas game outside of two busted defenses where he was able to take off for a long run. Um, that game was a lot tighter than the final score ended up being. And – he just didn't look comfortable ever. Um, you can tell he's not. He wasn't familiar with the position. Very nervous. Very scared. Very turnover prone. So Lester, if if Milrow is average last year, if he turns it over once against A and M and we beat those guys, you know, thirty one to twenty, we don't have to beat the hell out of them, but just another touchdown. So I think we won twenty four to twenty. So say we get one more touchdown, we beat him 31 to 20, and he only turns the ball over one time, and he completes 62, 63% of his passes. Are we stressing this much over the quarterback situation? Um uh, yes and no. Because, you know, I, okay, so you brought up his turnovers and you brought up the stats where, you know. He had a decent game, an extra, uh, extra touchdown, you know, a higher completion percentage. But one thing that J-Law likes to bring up is possible turnover plays. Are those still there or not? Because, you know, maybe he had the three turnovers against Texas A&M. Well, shoot, he probably could have six if Texas A&M was worth a damn. You know what yeah, I mean? True, yeah. So and and let's, say, let's say those – let's say they are still there. But, oh, we got we got problems, buddy. The thing is, you don't you don't remember those plays. Nobody ever. I mean, we, no, we didn't. We don't. You don't. If I was asking before J Law brought that up, you know, hey, do you remember all those turnover worthy plays? You're like, I remember a couple, but I don't remember every single one. But you do right. remember the ones that he actually fumbled the damn football and you know put it in the DB's chest, right? So if those are, you know, what he throw three picks last year, like five touchdowns, three picks. If he throws. Five touchdowns and one pick if he has zero fumbles. You know, if he was to just give us solid average play. Solid play. If, yeah. If, if we could trust him to be just solid, I I, th- I I think this team can go as far as college football allows. And that's the national championship. Just solid, just like, what's that? Let's say give us a. 
2011 AJ. Just get the ball to the guys. Let them make the plays. No turnovers. No interceptions. You know what? Did, he had like what thirty touchdowns that year? Or was that twenty twelve? He had thirty. Uh, twenty twelve. He was uh thirty touchdowns. Three interceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. If he not even that, just give us be the game manager distributor. If we knew in our soul that at minimum he could do that. I would feel so much better about the quarterback position. But we 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 don't know that he can do that. We have a new offensive coordinator who God knows what he's going to do. And like I've been telling y'all all along, if this is Kiffin, if this is Stark, if this is an OC who I knew oh, we're good. what fit the – who was somewhat changed the offense to fit his personnel, to fit his quarterback, I would feel so much better. But with Staben and with Reese, I mean, sure, they're probably going to run, you know, pistol, eye, whatever, have us in the box all game long, not spread it out. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I don't have that faith right now. Like, I, like I've been telling y'all, if they can run five, six, seven speed options or whatever a game, that will open up so much. But I doubt they do that. So my my problem with Milrow is I think he's gonna make like Jake Coker. He made like some plays with his feet where you say wow, but it didn't like he was lightning fast and he really barely rarely ever made any plays with his arm that you said wow, dude, that was just amazing arm talent from Jake Coker, like Tua or what you saw from Mac or what you saw from Bryce. But dude, he just made the consistent play. I think Jalen Milrow is going to make some throws. Literally, he will make some throws where you say, dude, holy shit. Yeah. And he's going to make some runs where you say, dude, that's why he's starting. But he's also going to have some games where you say, yeah. what the hell is he doing? <laughs> yeah. What what is he yeah. thinking? What is he doing? Did he did he just stand in the pocket for 10 seconds when like at the AM game last year? I can hear Chase all the way across the stadium. We're in separate corners. I'm above the student section. He's in the other corner. I can hear Chase yelling, just run, take off, dude. You've been back there for six seconds. Just go. Like, you don't, in this game, you don't need to prove to us that you're, you are you have pocket presence. There's nobody behind you pushing you for the job, buddy. Just, we need you to go win this game. And, like, it's like Jalen Milrow wanted to prove to everybody last year against A&M, and we talked about this last year, that he was Bryce Young, that he is capable of standing in the pocket and doing this. But from what we've seen, he's not. So do what you do. Stand in the pocket for two and a half seconds. And if it's not there, tuck it and go. Make something happen. Roll out of the pocket. Get a receiver to, to lose the defense. Extend the play. Don't stand back there and try to do seven reads like Bryce Young does because you're not Bryce Young. You're not as you're probably not as efficient reading a defense as Bryce Young. You're not as I would even go to say that Bryce Young in the pocket more elusive to Jalen Milrow, at least from what we saw from Jalen Milrow last year, just inside of the pocket, awareness, movement. That's not who Jalen Milrow is. So, dude, if you're going to be the starter, this is not time to prove to the world that you, you're you an NFL first-round quarterback. You need to do well what Jalen Milrow does well. The problem is when he got the chance last year in two games, Arkansas and A&M, and it took until the fourth quarter of the Arkansas game for Milrow to say, maybe I need to run it a little bit not stand back here and try to be Bryce Young for Alabama to score some points late in that fourth quarter to pull away and A&M. He never decided to really run the football outside of a couple of big third downs. So I think Milrow needs to do what Milrow does well and really settle in and just kind of 
we don't need to be focused on Milrow looking like Bryce Young because that's not what's going to happen. And we know Milrow is going to start the Middle Tennessee game. I would not be surprised if he got the first quarter and a half of that game because Saban knows he's got to roll somebody out there against Texas week two, and it's probably going to be Jalen Milrow. Yeah. Um, Lester, how do you think the quarterbacks rotate in this game? That was going to be my next question. Um I could easily see Milrow getting a whole quarter, but do you see something different? Do you see Ty maybe coming in earlier? I think he's definitely going to be number number one off the bench. Uh, maybe Buckner gets some playing time. I'm not quite sure, but I think it's a two-quarterback race, um, Jalen and, and and Ty Ty Simpson. So how do you think the, the reps are split up in-game on Saturday between those two? Um, I think that uh, – I think Saban may do like he does – if if it's a blowout, I think it'll be the first half, and then the first drive in the second half, and after that, it can be Simpson for the rest of the game. I think that's how to be. I think that's how it'll go. I don't think Saban's going to be like Steve Spurrier, and one quarterback pisses him off, and he's just going to yank him out in the middle of a drive and go to the next guy. I don't think that's going to happen. I think I think he's going to actually go with Miro. Hey, because because at this point. If he's going to be your guy, if he's if he's your number one, you have to show him that you have confidence in him. You have to instill that in him. So if Miro well, goes half or three quarters, I would not be surprised about that at all. According to Saban, he's not. According to Saban, there's competition. Sure, sure. So could it possibly be Saban Phoenix more bullshit? Very much so. He he he. There is a competition. But Milro is your number one. It's not. This is not going to be an AJ Philip Sims uh, situation where that first game in what 2011 on the video board it said AJ and Philip Sims when they call out the lineup. It's not going to be that. It's going to say Jalen Milro, and he he's your he's going to get the first crack at it. Therefore, I don't, I don't think the starter board is going to say Milro. I think it might hit me. Saban might roll out all three guys saying that they were playing quarterback. <laughs> I mean, that'd be dead serious because I remember that A.J. Phillips-Sims deal. Yeah. And I was like, what's going on? Right, right. I, I'll never forget that, watching Brian Denny. But I, I don't think it's going to be that this year, though. I think it's going to be Miro. And if it is Miro, you have to have show that you have confidence in that guy. Give him at least a half and then one or two drives out of the half or let him go three quarters and see how it goes. And, you know, when the game's out of reach, if it gets out of reach, hey, you pull him with the rest of your starters and then let Simpson or Buckner have it. That's how I think it's it's gonna go. If Milrow, but guys, if if Milrow goes out and he doesn't crap the bed, it's his job. Blake Barnett yeah. made it really easy for Nick Saban because the lights came on, Blake Barnett ran it out there. And he was done. I mean, Jalen Milrow, you got what? Jalen Milrow could have gotten the flu. He could have pulled Chase down from the stands and made Chase the backup quarterback. Chase would have been the starting quarterback in Dallas after that After that second because Blake Barnett made it easy for the, whoever the next guy was. We just got lucky, and Jalen Hurts was that freaking good as a freshman. I don't know how good Ty Simpson is, but we, don't, we know. I, I, this is my belief. If Jalen Milrow goes out and he doesn't crap the bed on his on the first two drives, 
he might get the whole first half. And then he is your de facto starting quarterback. I really do believe that. I also think there's a lot of pressure on Saban to play Jalen Milrow. He's the veteran. He's the guy that has the team. He's the guy that's been working out for, <laughs> with the team. The nonstop, like Ty Simpson and Buckner haven't been that guy. So, like, there's a lot of pressure on Saban to at least roll Jalen Milrow out there and see what he can do. And if he doesn't mess up, it's his. Um, especially if, if everything else feels about even but with Simpson and Buckner or they're slightly behind him. Obviously, it would be Jalen Milrow at that point. But I, I don't know if you'll see a massive rotation in this game. I don't I don't think Saban's going to name a starter on the video board for quarterback for this game. But I do think if you see Jalen Milrow just be good enough to not mess up, they can say that's right or wrong, I think it'll be his job. I think that uh, the game is definitely going to tell us how much of a, quote, competition there really is. Um just to be different, I'm going to say that we see Simpson in the second quarter. I don't know how early or how late in the second quarter, but I think we see Simpson in the second quarter. But <clears throat> could easily see it going the way that y'all are describing. Uh, but if that is the case, then it, it was just saving bullshitting again. There was no, there was never a competition. It was all, it was, it was always Milrow. Um, it was always, you know, it was always going to be his and. Because, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just, <clears throat> I think it wouldn't be a fair shake again. Just like I, I said, whenever I ranted about the scrimmage and how Milrow got double the reps with the first team when he has done nothing to, to vouch for the fact that he should be getting all first team reps and none with the second team. Yet Simpson and Butner having to go out there with second stringers, third stringers, and then sometimes first stringers. They're with different personnel every time they step on the field. It's very, very difficult. Yeah, Milrose playing with the same guys day in and day out. I don't think that's a fair competition. I don't think it's a fair shake. And if they do that in the game, then I'll say the same thing next week. I don't think it's a fair shake. And, you know, I think Simpson and even Buckner, you know, if he's showing in practice that he's capable of, of running with the ones, I think they should all get, you know, first team reps. Um, if you win the game 24 to 21, who cares? Um, if it solves the quarterback battle, which, you know, there's no guarantee that that's going to, but you know, if, if you, if you give Milrow and Simpson, both whatever, you know, 12 passing attempts each, and you just, you compare the film, not necessarily the stats, but you compare the film, see if there's any drops, see if they threw it to the right spot. You know, then I think it's a fair competition. Then you just go with the better guy against Texas. That's what I've wanted since, uh, you know, since I first started talking about this was I would love to see Milrow get the first quarter, then Simpson second quarter, then Butner third quarter, and then the fourth quarter, hopefully you're playing your scrubs, and then whoever has the best day, go with them against Texas. Uh, I think that's the best way to do it, but I could easily see it shaking out the way you guys described Lester, Kevin Steele really struggled against Middle Tennessee State last year as a defense coordinator in Miami. Of course, he's got different horses to work with this year. Um, that air raid offense can be difficult to defend. It hadn't hurt Alabama in the past. Um, we're on in, in Saban's tenure, just a straight air raid offense. But it was definitely one that got under Kevin Steele's skin a little bit last year as a defensive coordinator. So do you do you think we see as many defenses of defensive lapses? Um, it is week one. You know he, he's coaching new guys, and 
these guys are having to learn how to play under under Kevin Steele. How do you think the defense comes out? Do you do you think they come out locked in, locked down, locked up, or do you think maybe this is a day where you could see Alabama giving up twenty one to twenty eight points to a team like Middle Tennessee State? Yeah, this is this is this game is going to tell us a lot real quick, real soon about you know the defense and how they're going to be this year. Um, I personally love you know everybody looks at you know oh Middle Tennessee State University whatever yada yada yada. These guys put us the points against Miami last year, and their offense is good for us going forward, especially with Texas the next week. I mean, I I like to say this would be a, a tune-up game to you know get the shit out your system already, and you know iron out all the kinks. We don't need that. These guys have got to come in prepared and ready to defend against what they're gonna see. There's no reason why Middle Tennessee State should move the ball up and down the field on us. And if they do, that's problems. Now, I understand this offense is designed to move the ball against, you know, whoever, including better talent. But bend, don't break. If they move it from the 20 to the 20, you know, in today's college football, okay, that's just going to happen. But they should not be running up and down the field throwing bombs and touchdowns all over the damn place. That should not happen. And if it is, the defense has some serious problems. Heading into our, our first weekly segment of the year, uh, week one, does Bama cover? Right now the line is sitting at uh, Alabama minus 39. J-Lo, go ahead and start us off here. Does Bama cover? You can give me a, a quick little rundown of, of of why you think what you think, and uh, also get follow it up with a score prediction. What do you think the final is going to be? Yeah, uh, I don't think Bama covers because that means if if Middle Tennessee scores fourteen, we have to score fifty three, and that's a lot of points. I don't care who you're playing; fifty three is a lot. If I mean. 49-14 is a blowout win, especially talking about garbage time touchdowns. And Saban's going to want to get a lot of bodies in this game, especially on defense against a team who is not going to take their starters out for four quarters against us. So if we're a 39-point favorite, if they score 17, which is easily possible, two busted coverages and a, and a longer field goal, you got to score 57. Um, so no, I don't think we do. I do like the final to be around 49, 14, uh, 45, 14. Um, I think it's going to be tough for anybody to get into a true rhythm. If Saban does move the quarterbacks around, I think you're going to see a lot of bodies on defense. I think he's going to try to see it. Is Terry on better at corner or is it Trey Amos? Can Terry on go back to us? One of the safety spots. Can he play star Nick, whatever, whatever they need him to do. So I, I do think that Alabama will win this game handily. I just don't know about the 39. I will take it 45-14 final. I'm going to be right there with you. I think Middle Tennessee State plus 39 is probably one of the easiest bets uh, of the weekend. And it's simply because there, there's so many moving parts, like you said, J-Law, and there's so, many, there's so much new stuff going on. I mean, you know, I, there could, there's a possibility – they rotate quarterbacks uh, that can cause a team to be out of sync. Um, you, you've got a 
you're going to have a run first offense. I think, I think you're going to have quarterback runs, but you are going to have a, a run first offense. I think they want to be about 55, 45 run to pass, uh, try to establish the ground game, get the offensive line, some confidence heading into the Texas game. You've got both coordinators in the booth for the first time in Saban's career. How is that? Is that is that going to affect anything? And how is it going to affect? You know what? We don't know. There's just too many question marks. Um, Mississippi or Middle Tennessee State, the air raid offense. Uh, they could throw. They could easily throw four picks in this game. Alabama could have three defensive touchdowns. Win this thing sixty three to seven. Uh, you know that's very easily. That's very easy. That very easily could happen. Um, or you know that they could pick Kevin Steele's defense apart and end up scoring 14, 21, 28 points. Uh, I think the latter is more likely. I don't see them scoring 28, but I do see um, Bama winning. I'm going to go I'm gonna go 41, 41-17. Riker kicks two field goals, and Bama wins by, what's that, 24, something like that. So I don't, I don't even think it's close. I mean, I think Bama does win comfortably, but definitely not in the 40-point range. Lester, what do you have for – does Bama cover in Week One against Middle Tennessee State minus thirty nine? Yeah, yeah, they're not, they're not, they're not going to cover. Um, but I will have them. Hey, at- dude, I thought you would be the one to be like seventy seven to ten. No, no, I, no? I, don't, I don't see it. No, um, I do like your theory of the non offensive touchdowns, man. Yeah, I missed possible. That. possible. Remember what was the 2016? They were going. The defense was going to score fourteen a game. <laughs> Just about, was- yeah. Uh, we need to get back to that this year, but that, that, that remains to be seen. But I'm going to go ahead and say 44-23. I think uh, Riker's going to have a good game. I think Milton C. State, you know, once again, Ben, don't break on the defense. They're going to have to – they're going to keep the ball through the uprights a decent bit. So uh, 44-23. All right. Our, uh, our second weekly segment that we're going to have every week is our, is our bet of the week. Um, it can be – any game, you know, we're Labor Day weekend, so we have a long weekend. We have Monday night games, Sunday night games, Thursday night games. We're doing this before – we'll release this before Thursday. So, if you want to pick the uh, Utah-Florida game, J-Lo, is that yours? Is that what you're going to do for the bet of the week? Yeah, I thought we were doing two. My bet of the week was actually going to be Penn State minus 20 and a half um, Who are they, at who home, West Virginia. Okay. Um, I'm going to take that. I think Neil Brown is still there, and I think his his seat is absolutely hot. And James Franklin is notorious for beating teams badly that he has a chance to beat badly. Um, that game's in Happy Valley. I think it's at night too. If it's not, I don't really think it matters. I do think that it'll be there'll be a cover there for Penn State. Bet of the week. Um, if we were given a second one, I'd like Utah. At minus six and a half. I didn't want to take anybody's. If Cam Rising is healthy, so I, I get a mulligan on this. If Cam plays, I like him. If not, I take Florida all the way. Change your bet if Cam Rising is not playing. Bingo. Uh, yeah, coming off that ACL injury he suffered last year. Um, yeah, nobody really knows how healthy he really is. but And he does a lot of work with his legs, too. So they really need him, his lower body, to be healthy and that need to heal up right. And and uh, if they're going to make a, a push in the Pat twelve and and maybe even for the playoff for a playoff spot, um, I'm going Florida State plus two and a half. Mason Smith is suspended for signing his own name, uh, which is, I mean, he did it just before NIL started, and so they're just now suspending him for a game. Hey, did y'all see where LSU 
tried to schedule a crap game before Florida State in week zero just so Mason Smith's suspension could be served in. Yeah, it would have been genius. They were going to schedule <laughs> yeah. like Idaho FCS team. That would have been great. Not a surprise. Yeah, I'd have just scheduled Auburn, just beat the hell out of them twice. That would have been fun. But anyway, yeah, Mason Smith, probably their best defensive player, not named Harold Perkins, you know, especially when they're on that defensive line. Big piece for them is missing. And Florida State beat them last year. I know LSU missed a couple of extra points, but I think Florida State's gotten a lot better. And, you know, everybody gets gives points to the SEC because it's the SEC. Florida State matches up really well here. And, uh, and you know, they have a, a Heisman candidate at, at, at quarterback themselves and a lot of offensive weapons, big receivers, and um, an aggressive defense as well. So uh, I'm going to go Florida State plus two and a half. Lester, what do you have? Yeah, my uh, pick is going to be a, a North Carolina at South Carolina, the Dukes Mayo Classic. Um, UNC is favored by two and a half points. Yeah, Drake May is going to roll in there and throw the ball and run the ball all over the damn place. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to go North Carolina over South Carolina, minus two and a half. Is that a neutral site? It says at South Carolina, the Duke's Mayo Classic. I'm not sure where that is. I thought that was at Bank Charlotte. Maybe it's Bank not. Stadium, yeah. Bank of America, yeah, in the Panther Stadium. So, yeah, that's neutral site. Man, I like South Carolina there. Lester, I hope you're right. Man, Spencer Rattler. I'm on the hype train. The way he finished last year, what did he throw for like 600 against Tennessee? Just shredded those guys up and down the field. And, uh, you know, yeah, he had a really strong closeout to the the season last year, and I'm buying all the hype. Shane Beamer, uh, you know, he's gotten some solid players in there. They have a really good freshman receiver. And uh, see, so yeah, I'm gonna go South Carolina there. But all right, guys. Hey, any final thoughts on uh, Week One, Alabama versus Middle Tennessee State, Auburn? Any thoughts on Auburn? You know, UMass. I think minus like it's like a 35 point line over there. So UMass must just be freaking terrible. But uh, is is this? Was it also last year or Harson's first year? This is like two out of the last three years where Auburn might be playing the absolute worst team in the FBS. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Overall. They're like 131. <laughs> it's terrible. Horrible. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it for me. But, hey, shout out to um, all of our listeners. Um, and shout out to new listeners that we have. Um, hang in there with us. Bear with us. Hope you guys enjoy. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, once again, follow us on Twitter. Gump Runners Pod is the at. And, uh, yeah, follow us, listen, and uh, you know, show it to your family and friends. It's 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 all love coming coming from the Gump Runners. This is episode eighty seven, Gump Runners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law, roll tide. Talk to y'all next week. <laughs>